0: He looks upon sky and step and sees that which God has created. I look and see God Himself, Stephen Pressfield. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank everyone for listening so far, and um, I hope everyone has enjoyed the last couple of weeks. This week we'll be focusing on kind of the last section of uh, Asia as we cover uh, the Eurasian Steppe and the forests kind of to the north of that area uh, up until the Ural Mountains. So, let's go ahead and get right into it. The Steppe begins in the East of what is now Russia, and of course, in the very northeast of China, uh, what is now referred to as Manchuria. And this runs all the way to the west. In fact, it runs, well, into Europe, hence the name the Eurasian Steppe. But for the purposes of this video, we're going to start um, right around where it terminates, uh, well, not where it terminates because it keeps running, as I just said. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna continue until uh, you get to uh, the Ural Mountains, which is kind of one of the traditional borders associated between Europe and Asia. Uh, so this is gonna terminate kind of in uh, the western part of Kazakhstan, at least what we're f- covering for this. Uh, episode. We'll continue of course when we get back to Europe, uh, which will be uh, in a couple of weeks once we deal with Australia and um, uh, the rest of Australasia. So of course, this is obviously a very large uh, <laughs> area to cover. Now uh, the steppe itself is kind of a um, kind of a cold tundra or a cold desert, I should say. Uh, There is minimal vegetation for a lot of the year. Um, What vegetation there is is mostly grasses, uh, wild grasses. Uh, And it is, uh, there are, of course, some uh, trees, things like that. However, they're almost entirely located around water sources and there are there are sources of water this isn't a true desert say like um, the kalahari or uh, the namibian desert Uh, there are places like lake baikal out on the uh, near mongolia and russian border Uh, there are of course water sources in uh, the caspian sea area Uh, and there are again numerous long rivers uh, that kind of run north to south uh through through the area Um, and then the further north you go you run into uh kind of a dark um, tree uh, or forested areas um, and these are home to their own peoples Uh, there are several different groups um, living in that area uh, that, you know, we in the West don't really think about, and they're, even in modern Russia, uh, you think of Russia as kind of a very unitary state. There's actually several, uh, what are referred to as republics, probably inaccurately, uh, but, you know, they're basically made up by a large group of, uh, indigenous or near-indigenous peoples. Uh, but the peoples we're going to start with are, are we're going to first focus on are the peoples of the steppe. Um at 10,000 BC, we're not exactly sure. I guess there are different groups um even today. Um there are of course uh Kazakhs, uh Mongolians, um Manchurians, uh different varieties of uh Turks, uh, Uzbeks, Tajiks. These are all kind of a steppe people. And at 10,000 BC, you know, there are obviously, again, uh, not, you know, not that many different uh, groups, most likely. There are probably some uh, proto-cultures hanging around. Uh, It used to be thought that Mongolian, Turkic speakers... Um, had a kind of a were part of what was known as the Altaic language family, uh, that even included Korean and Japanese. However, um, a lot of modern scholarship disregards this, especially well, um, at least when it comes to comparative linguistics. Like that, that's kind of completely disregarded now. Um, a lot of the similarities you see between Mongolian, Turkic, and the like. Uh, can be explained just due to um, proximity to each other and just sharing of loan words. That they're actually very different languages, at least. That's the m- majority opinion uh, today from linguistic scholars. Um, and uh, so Altaic is not really considered a true family anymore. Um, there has been some attempts at revision that kind of says, well, there is an Altaic language, it doesn't, just, just doesn't include that wide of a range. And there are still some that do kind of hold on to the original Altaic, um, kind of, uh, um, supposition, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, but that is a very, very small group, um. I think in terms of genetic evidence what they've been able to determine um the, the well there's nothing really definitive. Um of course a lot of these peoples, you know, that are kind of you know uh in that supposed group, there is some overlap, but the overlap comes later um, and it comes at different times for different groups, so obviously, you know uh the Any kind of korean and mongolian overlap is probably from the mongolian empire period whereas the turkic and mongolian overlap is you know probably much earlier um and again it could have happened a couple of times at different you know different periods um and these steppe peoples you know kind of what we're referring to is after the domestication of uh, the horse, which is going to be a very important uh, animal in this area, especially and of course eventually to the rest of the world as well. Uh, but that is still a couple of thousand years from this point in time. At 10,000 BC, uh, they are probably just hunting uh, if not horses, uh, antelope, deer, wild you know wild animals out on the steppe. Um, and about the horse specifically, they had a much longer, or much larger range. Uh, we talked about how, you know, there was a die-off of animals, you know, right around the time the Pleistocene kicked up. Um, horses had spread virtually the entire length um, of the steppe in Asia all the way to the European coast in what is now france and spain um of course once the climate shifted to that warmer period at the pleistocene a lot of these horses died off um probably due to overhunting, probably due to the nature of uh the um the food uh, of their foodstuffs changing uh the climate, you know, evolving, and of course being hunted by humans and other predators. Uh, so eventually, there are just pockets of horses around the European coastlines, uh, and then there is a very big blank slate, um, but like kind of in central and um, southern Europe, where there are no horses anymore, even on the European side of the steppe. Uh, They are eventually gone. And then, so essentially somewhere in uh, the Northern Caucasus, Central Asia, and like kind of like central, the the mid part of where Central and Eastern Asia meet, out where now is kind of like the border regions between Kazakhstan, Mongolia, and that very kind of tip of China. That's where the horses are kind of concentrated. Uh, So, you know, they are... You know, they are important and we do begin investigation on them eventually, uh, but uh, for this point in time, they are almost certainly like a major food stuff in the area, and of course, you know, um, the kind of um, vegeta- uh, vegetation humans are eating are probably not all that great, so I imagine, you know, the, ma- the nomadic lifestyle for these people uh is probably very high they're probably having to move a lot uh compared to say people in china or india or the middle east Um, of course everyone's nomadic at this point but i imagine that where they're living the, the population density is even less than what you might consider um you know further south which makes sense obviously just due to terrain and things like that now in the north uh of the steppe, you have a few different uh, peoples. Um, today, their descendants probably speak some type of Uralic language. Uh, these would include uh, things like um, uh, ninets, innets, uh, those are kind of the Russian groups that the Samo, uh, Samoyetic is a, is a term I've seen used for them. I don't know if that's considered kind of, um, I don't know if that's PC these days. I, I as far as I know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. Um, but there are probably also, um, you know, various types of, um, uh permic speakers um udmunt uh zirian uh permayak which again we're going to get into these peoples in the future when they're more readily identifiable uh and it's possible that these people could be more on the european side of the urals or they're they're making that trek uh back and forth uh it's very hard to say at this point um and in this kind of northern forested region you're not going to be able to live there for long periods or at least be very successful living there for long periods just due to the weather because while it is warmer on a whole it is still very cold um i think uh i mean you can get in the sub sub sub-zero temperatures at least when it comes to fahrenheit Um, my celsius is a little off but it's very cold there for a large part of the year what you probably have is people moving into the forested regions during the summer and then once uh the weather begins to change they're probably moving south along rivers and uh, getting to trying to get to valleys um on the outskirts to kind of live during the the colder months and even then where you're living in the steppe is still very cold um, I can't imagine, you know, having to make that kind of... And there are people, obviously, that still live in the area uh, in a very near-traditional lifestyle. Um, you know, we're talking, you know... And that far north, you've got, you know, periods of time where the sun doesn't shine for, you know, a couple of months on end. Uh, it, it's, it's a very... Um, it's kind of hard to imagine honestly for someone who's never dealt with that before. Um but yeah, so that's what we have in terms of people's kind of living at that area at 10,000 BC in Asia. Uh I should bring up uh horses. Um now again, we're a few thousand years before they're domesticated, but uh, it is important to note that, um, as odd as this may sound, is uh, horse hunting is very dangerous, uh, believe it or not. Um, uh, we think of horses today, they're much taller. Um, we, we generally think, you know, of kind of, you know, the danger with horses is riding them uh, these days. However, um, horses at this point in time do not look the same way they do today. They're not nearly as uh, tall, they're not as big. Um, a horse, typically, a male would probably be m- at most like five feet tall. So maybe almost the size of a human, but of course they're longer, I think they're you know about seven feet um, long. Uh, and they probably weigh around somewhere between five, 700 pounds, maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit less on the low end um and male horses are extremely aggressive like wild ones they uh they will fight uh not just to defend uh their territory they are you know aggressive uh almost to a fault uh, they fight each other obviously um horses are kind of a mix uh, wild horses are a mix kind of between a uh, a matriarchal hierarchy and a patriarchal just kind of a, a, a you know a stud or a stallion uh you know that's kind of in charge and they're they're around the exterior of the group whereas interior um the the matriarch uh, the matriarchy kind of keeps the rest of the herd like interior in in, um, in line. Uh, on the interior whereas the stallion is on the outskirts of the group protecting them from outside threats so they do have to be very aggressive to kind of keep control of their herd and we'll get into that more when we talk about how horses were eventually domesticated Uh, but just be aware that male horses very dangerous they will uh they will Charge. They will try to trample, a stomp on uh, people. They kill wolves. Um, you know they they can obviously their back uh, legs can fuck you up just as badly as their front legs. Uh, even male horses also have um, very sharp. They have a, a small number, but uh, they are very sharp, almost fangs um, that will that they use to bite uh, and protect themselves or just be aggressive to other, uh, horses and predators. Um, and, uh, speaking of wolves, obviously we have domesticated dogs by this point, maybe at a couple of different points in time, uh, depending on the group. Um, but, you know, wolves are still around and they're still considered one of the major dangers on the steppe. So, um, yeah, you, you have to be, of course, uh, worried about them and uh, they are as much of a food source as uh, unfortunately dogs probably would have been i think if times were tough uh, people may have had to uh, make some uh, unfortunate sacrifices for uh, you know for the good of their their human families unfortunately Um, that is something to keep in mind Um, domesticated animals you know the byproducts are wonderful uh, but there's always the you know the possibility that you may have to um sacrifice them uh both uh for you know sustenance and um as we may have seen at this point uh for religious purposes sacrifice is very possible to have been started at this point Uh, i know i haven't talked much about religion outside of africa because again we're kind of you know, we've had a lot of different inter, uh, overlap and interaction between them. So kind of coming up with a foundational myth or kind of an oldest myth outside of Africa is very hard. But um, I did mention it at, uh, if not at this point, within the next couple of hundred years, um, we're going to see kind of uh, the earliest monumental art um, in, in a place in Siberia. Uh, known as Shigir. Uh, there are about uh, five uh, meter tall planks carved to look like humans, and they have other signs. So this is, um, I guess, your, your, kind of your earliest uh, non-stone Neolithic art, like massive um, ritual stuff that you found. Um, so, you know, uh, Siberia will actually beat out uh, asia for the the first bit of monumental uh construction uh not by much and of course what you see in uh in siberia is made out of wood whereas you know in uh anatolia you're talking about stone stuff so uh, but again that's for future episode uh we'll we'll get there eventually uh let's see so horses uh ah of course um another another thing that we're probably hunting is of course reindeer um they they would have ranges of course as well um but yeah so i think that is probably as much as we can discuss at this point in time that's kind of hard facts um and even then, maybe not the hardest of facts. Uh but uh that kind of finishes up what I want to discuss about Asia at ten thousand BC. Uh so I just kind of want to sum up you know kind of what we're seeing at this point in time. Uh, we have seen uh that once leaving Africa um some groups had continued to travel. Uh, if this was due to, you know we're not exactly sure to the reasons uh, that this happened, uh, especially when you look at the groups kind of living in, well, kind of the first area once we left um, once we left Africa, Arabia, uh, the Mesopotamia, and of course the Levant. These regions are all seem like they have a very wide and diverse source of food. Uh, so, of course, why did people kind of continue leaving? Uh, there, you know, it could have been a number of reasons. It could have been they were following favored foodstuffs. They could have been stuck in that mode of megafauna hunting. Um, you know, the people, you know, they've, they've been moving for thousands of years. And I think what this shows is that once the megafauna have di- died off, uh, different groups are answering their uh i guess the lack of these food sources in different ways uh, obviously in places like mesopotamia the indus river uh civil or the indus river areas uh places around uh, uh shenzhen in china and the yellow river places like those uh being along those riverbanks uh are excellent sources of you know, ve- vegetation to eat and they're also kind of uh, they're kind of um, sources of animals as well obviously animals aren't coming from the water but they're coming to the water whereas you know outside of those regions the people living kind of in the more inhospitable areas um, in the kind of the highlands of India or in the very heavy uh, uh, rainforest areas of uh, southeast asia or even the steppes in uh, northern uh, your northern asia and of course those uh, those um, forests in northern asia as well Um, they they obviously have sources of food uh, but it's it's a much harder life uh, than people that remained in and around those river sources, and that's going to play important factors in evolution, uh, culturally, uh, as well as um, uh, economically speaking, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, mode of living, as it were, uh, but, uh, you know, again, all that is kind of future, future uh, episodes that will kind of go into more detail on that. Uh, but, uh, kind of just to keep this in mind, so the people living in and around these river valleys are going to be best off, uh, and we will see why going forward. Now, next week, um, we will cover Austronesia, uh, Australia specifically, and of course the surrounding, uh, islands that have people on them at this point in time i wouldn't think that episode would take more than one possibly two um i'm still kind of you know plotting out or outlining what i want to talk about for that region and then after that we're going to go to europe um so i'm hoping by the end of august uh we will have let's see uh, we should have me, uh, Australia and part of Europe done and then of course uh, by the end of September I want us to at least be in the Americas uh, but we'll see again I'm still working on outline stuff so it may take me a little bit more time but um, uh, we, should, uh, we should have a pretty good grounding to finish the finish 10,000 BC before the year is out And then after that, we're going to move into, uh, we'll take a big time jump. We'll jump forward to about 8,000 BC after that. And catch back up with these various groups I've outlined in other episodes. Um, But that being said, I do obviously have um, a little bit of work to do uh, still before we finish out this section i am going to be uh doing a little little something different in october and i mentioned that in the last episode uh, i have gotten some feedback on twitter about kind of um uh uh the kind of fictional area that people might want me to do like a little halloween special or episode on uh, i've gotten one uh one, a little bit of feedback there uh uh, I'm going to be kind of talking about Glorantha, which is a, um, which was an early um, competitor, for lack of a better term, to d and um, Or maybe not so much a competitor, but like a very, um, uh, kind of a similar concept. Uh, less focused on the wargaming and more focused on the storytelling aspect. Um, and it spawned a couple of things, so that is, uh, I might do one or two episodes on that. Uh, But if you guys have any kind of um, uh, historical fantasy kind of uh, thing you'd like me to do an episode or two on for Halloween, I guess, the spooky month of October, uh, just let me know. But uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you, and goodbye.